Have you ever heard of visualization? You know, the idea that uh, by sitting and visualizing what you want for your life, you can move yourself towards that outcome. It's an interesting concept, one that uh, I'll be honest, up to uh, up until recently, I didn't give much credence to. It seemed like it was woo-woo, like it was out there, like it was just kind of like this fluffy little thing. It was an easy piece of advice to give. It seemed like it went against the hard work required to get to a particular outcome. And it seemed like an easy way to move the blame of failure away from the system and the structures and towards the individual and whether or not they wanted it bad enough. This is how I've always viewed visualization. But recently, that has started to change. And I'm now starting to better understand the science behind how visualization works. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about that. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps. Big change. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we jump into the episode, today's episode is sponsored by Monk Pack. Monk Pack offers low sugar, keto friendly bars, which are plant based, gluten free, and non GMO. They're the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. And that is really hard to do. Now, I've tried a lot of the alternatives and taste is always the first thing to go. They all have this like weird fake sugary taste that honestly just makes them worse. It just kind of makes you crave the real thing. But that's not the case with Monk Pack. Now, I've tried so many of their bars at this point. I've had the peanut butter bar. I've had the sea salt dark chocolate. I've had the coconut cocoa chip. I've had the caramel sea salt. They are all fantastic. I literally have not been disappointed once. And their bars have as little as one gram of sugar, two grams of net carbs, and a whole five grams of plant-based protein. What is there? Like, it's it's fantastic. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal snack. And I do not say that lightly. They're the perfect replacement for a quick breakfast when you're on the go, a snack between Zoom calls, which is kind of how I've been using them lately, or as a guilt-free decadent dessert, whatever works for you. So get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering the code TINYLEAPS at checkout. That's it. Just head over to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K dot com and enter 
the code TINYLEAPS at checkout to save 20% off your first purchase. And Monkpack is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So head over to monkpack.com and enter the code TINYLEAPS at checkout to get started or click the link in the description of this episode. So let's start here. As I said at the top of the show, I did not believe that visualization had any real practical benefits to it. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of you who listen to this show probably felt similar. I'm sure there are some people, probably a good percentage, that have been doing visualization for years. You've been meditating and visualizing on what you want, or you've been uh, doing vision boards or, or whatever structure and form you've given it. But I think a lot of the reason people are attracted to this show is because of the skeptical approach to some of these more woo-woo aspects of personal development. That is the, the value that I believe I bring to the space. And so visualization has always been in the back of my mind something that, of course, it's going to be valuable to some people but couldn't really be recommended as a widespread solution to any particular problem because it never felt that practical. That is until I recently finished my third listen through of a podcast that I've now recommended to you a few times. Uh, It's called the Huberman Labs podcast. It's hosted by Andrew Huberman. He's a uh, behavioral scientist from Stanford, and he has an episode on the neuroscience of habit formation. So a lot of what I'm going to be discussing in this episode doesn't come directly from him. There's some additional uh, sort of collecting of information here, but it was sparked by this episode. So I'm going to link to the episode in the description. Definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, But I listened through this episode three times. It's about an hour and a half long. And every time I listen, I hear something new. And on my last listen through, I really zeroed in on the question of visualization and the value that it really can have on our behaviors. So first, we're going to zoom out and talk about this thing called neurons. Now, you might be familiar, but just in case, I'm going to be quoting here from the University of Queensland. This is how they define a neuron. Quote, neurons, also called neurons or nerve cells, are the fundamental units of the brain and nervous system, the cells responsible for receiving sensory input from the external world, for sending motor commands to our muscles, and for transforming and relaying the electrical signals at every step in between. More than that, their interactions define who we are as a person. End quote. So a neuron is the basic unit of the the brain and how different parts of the brain and nervous system interact with each other. When you are doing pretty much anything, especially physical actions, that movement is controlled by a chain of neurons. A specific series of neurons fires in a specific order and that produces that particular behavior. And this is also how, as the quote says, we process sensory information and pretty much anything that has to do with our interaction of the world. 
So this is the first piece of information we need to understand in order to recognize the value of visualization. There's a whole lot more information about neurons that I'm going to be honest with you, I don't fully know and I do not fully understand and I'm not going to pretend to. Uh, maybe in the future I'll try to bring somebody on who does know these things and have them break it down for us. But for the purpose of this episode, the key thing we need to understand is that a neuron is a fundamental unit that when chained together in a specific sequence produces motor commands and, and function. That's, that's all we really need to understand for this purpose. Um, so the question now then is what role does cognition play? This process of visualization, how does that relate back to our neurons firing in a specific order and driving a specific outcome as a result? Well, now I'm going to quote from a paper uh, published by Jerry Leisman and a team of three. Um, the paper is titled Thinking, Walking, Talking, Integratory Motor and Cognitive Brain Function. Quote, one may never have thought about how one plans and controls movement, but we know that actions such as we might see when playing the violin or throwing a ball, writing or eating with a knife and fork are not simply reflexes. Movement is not simply triggered by an external stimulus such as what one does upon touching a hot stove. Movement can also be the result of a series of mental processes. These mental processes can be used cognitively even when no movement results. So that's the key line here. These mental processes can be used cognitively even when no movement results. And the paper goes on to discuss an experiment that I believe somebody else did where they put patients that were paraplegic into a situation to control a robotic arm with their mind and they were able to, to do it because even though they're not able to specifically move their arm themselves, they can still produce the uh, sequence of events in the neurons that are required for that movement. And so the idea being, and, and this is me absolutely speculating, I want to make sure that I fully state this. Um, I'm, I'm an idiot here. I'm really just reading other people's work. But the, the, the idea that I'm sort of pulling from this is that all that is essentially happening is there's a disconnect between the neuronal change of events and the uh, receptor for, for those responses. And so if you put a new uh, receptor in, in theory, you could potentially still create the, the movement. We'll get right back to the show in a moment. But first, I want to let you know that I'm working on a brand new feature for the Upward app. It's called Journeys. And here's how it works. You select a habit that you want to build, say meditation or journaling. You join a small group of up to two other users. And together, you complete research-based assignments that are designed to help the new habit stick. It's the simplest way to access the neuroscience and behavioral science required for habit formation in your day-to-day -day life. And this is going to be the first feature that is available exclusively to premium members. But if you want to upgrade your account, if you want to become a premium user of the Upward app, just shoot me an email, greg at upward.so, or you can click the link in the description of this episode. 
So something that we need to recognize, again, going back to that last sentence, these mental processes can be used cognitively even when no movement results, is that the series of events that need to happen to produce emotion and action a behavior can still be fired even when we're not doing the thing. And then the last thing we need to understand is that the speed at which and the level of skill at which we perform a specific behavior comes down at least in part to the strength of the connection between the neurons responsible. So just to say that a different way, if neuron A and neuron B, that chain is responsible for the process of picking up my arm. The more times I pick up my arm, the faster the signal can be sent from A to B because it's becoming used to the idea that when A fires, B should fire. And in order to reduce the use of resources, trying to figure out what it should be doing, if that thing has happened enough times, it's more likely that when A fires, B will fire, and those two events will become linked. So all of this together, the idea that a neuron is this fundamental unit that when chained together and the electrical signals that move through that chain produce behavior, produce uh, movement and, and motor function, the idea that that chain can still be activated even when no movement is actually happening, and the idea that the uh, uh, ease of that movement is determined at least in part by the strength of the connection between that chain. Ultimately, where that leads us is this idea that you can, through visualization, mimic the neuronal connection responsible for a certain behavior or rather a sequence of behaviors. And so by sitting and walking through, and, and I, I've started using the term step visualization for this. I believe that's the term that Huberman used in the podcast. Uh, I apologize if I'm misattributing that, but, but it makes sense to me. This idea of just sort of like stepping through the, the, the process that you need to do um, by sitting down and visualizing each piece of the process you're starting to strengthen the connection between the neurons responsible for that actual outcome. And by strengthening it, it might be such a small change that you don't really notice it, but you are making it easier for you to do the thing. You're going to have less friction or at least less mental friction. The term that Huberman uses is limbic friction. You're going to have less limbic friction to overcome in order to take that behavior simply by visualizing yourself doing the thing. Now, let's zoom back out here. The idea of visualization, the, the part that I historically have a problem with is how it's kind of framed in the popular uh, personal development world or popular psychology. This idea that you can visualize an outcome and be more likely to produce that outcome regardless of behavior. And I'm just going to say it up front. I don't know if that's true. I don't understand enough of this stuff to say or even guess at whether or not that's true. 
the distinction I want to make here is that this series of, of definitions and studies that we've looked at to better understand how neurons fire and to better understand the role of thinking through, visualizing the process responsible for a behavior, that's different from how visualization is typically communicated and treated in the personal development space. It's less about producing an outcome that is something you you don't have full control over and more about producing a behavior, more about getting yourself to take action, to do a thing. Now, doing that thing might produce an outcome or it might at least move you towards an outcome. But it's still different. And I think that that distinction is important. So here's where we're going to wrap this up just with a quick recap. A neuron is a fundamental unit of the brain and nervous system. Chaining them together and firing electrical signals through them is what produces the physical motions that we uh, uh, carry out in a single day. They've done research and found that uh, as you think through those physical motions, you are still activating that same chain of neurons. And we know, uh, and the science knows, the research knows, that activities and behaviors become easier to, to perform, at least in part because of the strength of the connection between the neurons responsible because they can fire that electricity through faster, essentially. With those three pieces of information, it stands to reason that by sitting and visualizing our, 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 our process for that behavior, performing this step visualization, we can start to strengthen that uh, connection even when we aren't able to take the actual action in that moment. So how do we use this? Well, in my opinion, and I've, I've been trying this myself, and it's, I think it's a bit too early to say if it's worked or not. Could be a placebo, but I definitely feel that I've, I've uh, noticed a difference. Um, I think that we should take the time when we want to produce a new behavior, build a new habit, whatever it might be, we should take the time to think through what is responsible for that thing, potentially even doing it once so that we have a real um, uh, solid understanding of what's required. And then take the time to step through that process at least once. And in the Huberman podcast, he says that doing it once actually produces a long-term effect. And, and I tend to believe that. I think that we can go even further, especially if the behavior we're trying to produce is more complex. Something like flossing might be simple enough that we can step through it once and, and produce the behavior we want long term. And, and I've been testing that myself. It seems to have worked so far. Uh, something like exercise, where there are so many different requirements to get there, where there are, are physical limitations and physical friction that you need to override and have the quote unquote willpower to get past. Something like that, I think that we could actually benefit from walking through the process, doing this step visualization when we can't take the action. So let's say that we decide we're going to work out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 
Monday, we make it awesome, fantastic. We now have a good idea of what's required to do this behavior. Wednesday, we have to skip. I think if we find ourselves in that position where we have to skip, performing this step visualization can allow us to continue reinforcing the chain of neurons required for the different behaviors to get us to the gym and to get us working out. And we can gain some value even though we aren't able to actually go to the gym. That's how I would use this. That's what I'm going to be testing and using in my own life. And of course, I will always update you on how things are going. So this was a bit of a longer episode, but I want to say thank you for hanging out, for sticking with it. This was a fun topic for me to go through, and I want to do more like this. I want to dive deeper into the neuroscience aspects of behavior change because the psychology is awesome and it makes a lot of sense and it's really, really cool. And that's something I'm going to keep diving into as well. But I'm really starting to notice this interesting difference between the neuroscience component and the biological component and the uh, psychological component. And in many ways, they are responses to each other. And so I want to learn more about all of it so I can see how everything is connected. And hopefully you'll join me on that journey. Before we go, I want to take another moment to thank today's sponsor, Monk Pack. I've really, truly been enjoying their snacks. Uh, I think out of all of them, the sea salt dark chocolate might be my favorite. It's like, I don't know, it's, it's banging. I'm just being, just being perfectly honest, it's banging. Check them out. Get 20% off your first order when you go to monkpack.com and enter Tiny Leaps at checkout or uh, click the link in the description of this episode. And again, if you want to upgrade your Upward account to a premium account, uh, if you want to get access to this journeys feature, get the step-by-step approach to building habits and be able to complete those assignments with a group, um, email me at greg at upward.so or click the link in the description of this episode and that'll take you to the checkout page. Thank you so much. I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day.